out. The test is over. Goodness me. Wow. That was a beauty. It is out. And here he goes. This delivery has him using the bowl. On the front foot with Brian Waddle and Jeremy Coney, powered by Newstalk ZB and iHeartRadio. On the front foot this week, England slipped 2-0 down with three to play in the Ashes. But the disappointing thing about this week thing is that we made the same mistakes as last week. We, we just can't afford to do that. And it's that's going to be the, the most frustrating thing about, about this game. Straightforward selection for the Black Caps against Bangladesh. Or is it? Well, have you heard the rumour was? Well, the Re- Ravindra uh, will be playing ahead of Ajaz Patel. And where to from here? What does the test squad look like five, ten years from now? I think the challenge for New Zealand cricket is we're in a situation where the black caps are at the highest they've ever been, probably. Um, you know, to be as highly ranked in all three forms is so unusual. And then you start to ask questions well, where do the next lot come through? Back on the front foot, hello again to Jeremy Coney, who's probably enjoying a bit of. Uh, well, the good cheer of the season, Jerry. Have you had a few quiet celebrations for Christmas? Not yet, Wads. Just holding myself back. But I'm sure at some point uh, I, I'll let myself and allow myself to let go. Yeah, and the McGlashan household, I guess, of course, uh, Christmas uh, pretty important there. Yeah, excitement is building. Uh, obviously, with a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, Christmas is quite a big deal. The four-year-old finished her advent calendar on the 6th of December, though, so we've kind of lost <laughs> track of the dates. All the, all, the chocolate, all the chocolates were gone in the first week, so uh, all they know is that it's, it's coming soon. So I guess there's been a fairly high activity level, and if all that chocolate went down in a big hurry. Yeah, peaks and troughs. Talking of cricket, the Ashes. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually very proud of the way that the guys fought today, the attitude, um, the desire. That's how we need to go about a whole test match. You know, you can't just leave it to the last day and expect to pull off um, an enormous feat, which is what it would have been today. I thought Joss's innings was outstanding, um, ably supported by by others, you know, Wokesy in particular. Um, but ultimately, that is the attitude. Um, and as I say, the the mentality that we have to harness for five days if we're going to win here. The, the disappointing thing about this week, I think, is that we made the same mistakes as last week. And we, we just can't afford to do that. And it's that's going to be the, the most frustrating thing about, about this game, looking back. And Joe Root says he's not prepared to accept they named the wrong team for this test. Easy to say that, Saturday now. Um, I think the, you know, from if you look at the first innings in particular, um, I thought we were just a little bit short with the ball. We didn't we didn't challenge them enough. We allowed them to leave, and they, they left very well again. Something that we knew was going to they were going to look to do as they did in Brisbane very well. Um, we need to be braver. We need to get the ball up there. And as soon as we did that in the second innings, that that first hour, the amount of chances we created and how dangerous we looked. Um, that's that's almost a benchmark for us moving moving forward. We need to um, look at those, I suppose those those passages of play and, and do them for longer. Exploit the conditions as well as we did in that 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 period of the game. And Root also won't accept that the Ashes is already decided. No, we have to believe. We have to keep looking to. Well, first of all, we need to learn, and we need to learn fast. We, we can't make the same mistakes that we have done so far. Um, but we have to absolutely believe and then 
and have that same attitude as I mentioned that we went about today with. Because if we do that, I'm I'm convinced that we've got what we need to to win test matches over here. Um, but we're not going to if we keep missing chances um, and you know we don't give ourselves an opportunity to get into the test match with the bat. We've got to find ways of building those partnerships, getting in, uh, making big contributions, um, and you know that's that's something that we will have to do very well at Melbourne. But as I say, um, a lot of today has, has given me confidence going forward. A frustrated Joe Root said England made the same mistakes in the second test that they made in the first test. Goodness me, isn't uh, that quite revealing? Well, not really. Because, <laughs> 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 I, I mean, the first thing I just, I've got one little heading. Uh, it says more of the same, really. <laughs> um, uh, Aussie bowlers, I thought um, all their Four seamers were, were quicker than England. You've got Stark and Green a bit taller for the bounce, and and they get bounced from a length. Um, Richardson was interesting. He was a bit bouncy too. He actually adds to the list of their quicks, doesn't he? And yeah, then the batsman, yeah, then the batsman leaves the ball well. Uh, they constructed innings. They get runs, and they've got an arc of Warner and uh, Labashane, Labashachna, uh, and Smith. Um, at the centre of it, you know, and others sort of sort of piling around it. And so 400-plus runs in both first innings, you're, you're into the game. And I'm afraid England are left with mounting problems. Um, and what a missed opportunity, Wads. No yeah. Hazelwood, no Cummins, um, a pink ball where they had pinned their hopes that it might supply some movement for Anderson in particular. Um, but the same old issues. Batting, yep. but meek, uncertain. You know, I mean, get Pete in it because, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's kind of the same stuff. Yeah, I just wonder whether, you know, whether the, the issue, Pete, is, is one that New Zealand faced when they were the last there, that they were underprepared. England are quite clearly underprepared. It's not their fault to some extent because they've been caught up in the pandemic as such. But you cannot go to Australia underprepared and get through two tests. I mean, you, you, you've lost the series before the, the game gets started, really, haven't you? Yeah, well, you kind of think in game two, preparation's no longer an excuse because game one was your preparation for game two. But uh, as you say, with Root admitting that they basically made the same mistakes, that's a really worrying sign. It suggests there's a, a lack of maturity within the batting lineup to um, to make the changes required, to learn from their mistakes, and then to kind of unpack that. Um, and as Jeremy mentioned, you know, when, when Australia score 400 in the first innings in each test, yeah, you're on the back foot from the start. And once was batting first and once was batting second. So, you know, the the fundamentals seem to be missing, particularly from the batters, and that makes it really hard in a country like Australia where you've got to score big runs in the first innings um, uh, to kind of uh, secure control of the scoreboard. And also, what's the bowlers? Um, I mean, it just seems that to me that they come out and they have an attack that's based on thrift and economy. So they're not full enough and they're not straight enough and it's not about penetration and getting people out. I mean, I saw a little stat that said something like 5% of the balls were hitting the stumps. 5%. That's one ball in every 20. 
Now, that means every three and a half overs, you've got one ball hitting the stumps. Now, you extrapolate that, you end up getting eight balls every session (laughs) hitting the stumps. I I mean, uh, you know, if that's the case and you're taking out LBW and bold, which are about 20% of the dismissals and tests, you then drop seven catches, you know, in two tests. It's not a good look and not a dis- you just can't dismiss the opposition, you know. They've got issues with Butler. They've got, I mean, you know, they're just happening everywhere, it seems to me. Selection issues. They take a spinner in the first test on a greenish pitch with rain around. Here they pick five seamers in Adelaide where you must have a spinner. So, you know, things are going from poor to worse, really. Yeah, and I and I think, can they now afford to have Broad and Anderson in the same test? I know that those guys have been great servants and, and are still capable of doing the job, but should they be in the same test team together? Yeah, I mean, there was the big question about him uh, broad missing the first test, wasn't there? And, you know, that was a big mistake. I know Jeremy highlighted that as potential failure of selection in the first one. Um, But, um, you know, when you've got two guys that have been around for a long time, it does kind of stagnate the growth pool a little bit and and who those other guys coming through. And as Jeremy mentioned, there was just no sense of urgency from the others. Um, And maybe that's because Broad and Anderson have carried that mantle for so long for England and the other guys have been able to be those supporting actors rather than the main lead. So, yeah, they've got got problems across the board um, from the batting to... um, to the keeping, to the bowling. And, um, you know, Australia look to be getting together a bit of a mix, which could be a bit of a powerhouse for the next kind of you know, three to five years. Well, they put in a bit of a battle towards the end of the test. Joss Butler really uh, stuck around and, you know, he was always on a hiding to nothing. I don't think he was ever going to save the test match. But, you know, you talk, Gary, about the fact 400 in, in, in innings, first innings of a game, 400's not out of the way, provided your batsman can do a business for the team as well, isn't it? What they don't have really two solid openers, do they? It all, it all looks a wee bit uncertain with some technical issues for Burns. Um, the assessment of line, they don't leave quite so well, many of them. They've got problems. Five, six, seven aren't scoring runs. Um, so Ollie Pope, who's the sort of the anointed one from England, um, is is not looking so safe either. So there's all those issues. That, I mean, they're, they are just leaking things everywhere in every department of their game at the moment. So it's 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 going. It's already a long tour for them. On the front foot with Waddle and Coney. On the front foot with Brian Waddle, Jeremy Coney and Peter Madashen uh, joining us from the Ashes to, well, the New Zealand series against Bangladesh. And I'm still a little bit concerned about this series, Pete, because there have been issues within the Bangladesh camp in terms of uh, the uh, the virus and the pandemic. And, um, you know, it, it seems as though it's getting back into a situation where caution and possible lockdown uh, facing everybody, which includes cricketers as well. And that could be a difficult time for the two-test series against Bangladesh. 
Yeah, just at a time where sort of New Zealand looks like it's starting to get a little bit of control, um, this new variant globally is is really rearing its head again. And it's just a reminder of uh, the fact that, you know, we are a small global village, I think, and all of a sudden any time visitors come to your shores, they um, um, they come with baggage, um, uh, hygienic and otherwise. So, you know, the I think all the MIQ and things would have all been sorted, ready to go, and then... You know, there's always the unknown at the moment. It's an uncertain time. So as much as you want to plan for preparing for the match, it's almost like the preparation for the other parts of life are, are just as um, chaotic. Yeah, the good thing is that we're keeping well apart and uh, socially distancing because the media got all sorts of troubles in Adelaide, didn't they? The BBC, I don't know who it was, had uh, somebody who was infected and uh, their commentary uh, sort of fell apart in terms of being able to do it from the ground. So... Interesting times ahead, Jerry, for uh, the selectors, but it shouldn't be a hard side to select, should it? Well, have you heard the rumour was? No, which uh, one's that, that one? Ravindra, well, the Ra- Ravindra uh, will be playing ahead of Ajaz Patel. Well, funny you should mention that because I did hear that rumour. Now, you know, rumours are often just that, but there always seems to be an element of truth associated with some rumours. It might be just a, a little bit... Uh, um, a little bit uh, different to what might be the actual scenario. But I don't know whether that, that rumour's got to Auckland, um, Peter, or are you just going on uh, what we say down here? Well, I was going to say, you guys probably use slightly different media channels than I. Um, social media has led me to be very suspicious of rumours. Obviously, there's a lot of misinformation <laughs> out there. I'm hoping you guys aren't anti-vax as well. Um, but no, I mean, there was always talk about that, wasn't there? When you've got a guy like Ajaz Patel who isn't centrally contracted, it suggests that, um, you know, where he sits on the rankings changes quite dramatically from sort of home and away. We know that, you know, his track record in New Zealand hasn't been as good, but then he hasn't had the surfaces to show off his best skills. And when he's gone overseas, he's done very, very well. So, yeah, it would be remarkable to have gone from taking 10 for to not being considered in the next series at home. And, you know, we'll just have to wait and see whether those those sources, I hope, I'm not sure which YouTube channel or Facebook page <laughs> you guys get your misinformation from, but we'll have to oh. see how much truth there is in it. Reliable channels, reliable channels. But I, I just have been searching for a reason why you would leave out somebody who took uh, 14 wickets in a test match in conditions and against a side that is very good at playing spin bowling and leave him out of the next test match. I know, Jerry, you must have been faced with that issue when, um, when Paddles got 15 in, in Brisbane. Uh, his next test place must have been in jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. We spend a lot of time discussing who's going to take the new ball, Wads. Um, that was more because look, he didn't share the man of the match prize, wasn't it? That was less about his performance <laughs> on the field. Oh, no, no, that's once, getting... once the series was over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's getting into very dangerous territory. Very murky. Um, but listen, I mean, Ravindra, best spinner in New Zealand? No. Potential there, but not yet. I mean, his time will come. I think he's probably more likely to play as a batsman, actually, in this series. If he's picked ahead of Patel, it seems to be New Zealand, once again, are not going to pick a spinner. Uh, and and the risk, therefore, you become a little bit like England and Leach, for example. I mean, cricket is a, is a team game over five days, and as the pitch alters, you generally need a spinner. 
as an all-round package uh, to test the opposition and their range of skills. And um, it becomes a problem if you continue to leave them out. I mean, Ravindra has come in against spin in India. Um, he had to deal with the rough outside his off stump. Uh, he looked as if he was quite keen to score, which was a good thing, I felt. He'd been to Bangladesh. Uh, he'd been to India. He'd been around the team in England. Um, I just feel that the, the selectors have clearly pinned his name to the mast. That's okay. Um, but, I mean, his bowling is still flat. He's not a big turner. It requires sympathetic conditions for him. He's a young Santner, really, at the moment, with the ball. Um, he, he's going to need to fit into the top six. Uh, unless he strongly develops his bowling. He seems decent in the field. But I'd be reluctant to play him at, at Bay Oval. Uh, I think it requires a canny operator there with the, the breeze and the, from the salt works and all that sort of stuff. And I think Patel's your man there. If, he, if they are hell-bent on playing him, do so at Christchurch. Yes, we don't if, know whether the Conway's... The tour goes ahead. Yeah, we don't know whether Conway is going to be available and whether he's um, over his broken hand, and we will find that out, I suppose, when the team is named. But again, that puts the spotlight, I suppose, on on Ross Taylor, doesn't it, Pete? Yeah, and, you know, we spoke in the last podcast about kind of where Ross was going and, and his progress and, you know, his ability to uh, go out on high and go out on his own terms. Um, so, yeah, if Conway isn't available, it does definitely put more pressure on those more senior players to step up. We have to be looking to try and include uh, more spinners within the New Zealand rank. We've talked about that over a period of time, uh, Jerry, and, and, you know, Looking at uh, the the names down in the New Zealand cricket side at the moment, there's an interesting subject about the ageing of the New Zealand side. Where are we going to from here? It's all very well to have consistent policies in place now in terms of selection, but we've also got to see development of other players and tours that can help them develop. There's no team going to the Under-19 World Cup uh, and they're going to try and find a process and the program in New Zealand whereby they can uh, play games against New Zealand A or domestic sides. Uh, I'm not sure. I can understand them wanting to take a decision in terms of health and safety, et cetera, et cetera. But that's where our next crop of cricketers is coming from, isn't it? That under 19. The current players have all been through that, haven't they? I, I guess, um, Wads, it's in the West Indies, isn't it? Yeah, it's in the Caribbean, yeah. So COVID comes into it a bit. Um, and and they, I don't know whether they take the decision like parents do. You're not going on this. You're not going out tonight, dear. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of, um, do you take the protection of the player? Is it going to be difficult? Uh, or do you allow, say, look, these are cricket players. We are going to look after them the best way that we can. We are doing it around the world um, at the moment as best we can. Let them go. And, and those are decisions that, that families and, and I suppose ultimately administrators will make. I can't really sort of comment more than that. Well, the official New Zealand cricket um, press release came out that said um, that they have decided to withdraw from the under 
2019 World Cup and 2022 due to concerns over forcing young players to undergo MIQ upon their return. Well, that's a fact of life now, isn't it? But and what what you're doing is you're taking away a chance for a young player to deal with issues that are going to be part of his cricketing future and career, isn't it? Yeah, you are. But that's an interesting dilemma because I, I don't know what the rules are around minimum age to go through that traveling alone. So, I mean, if I, I can put my kid on a on a plane as sort of an you know unaccompanied minor and in New Zealand take responsibility to keep them from A to B. But I guess there's probably something in there about these uh, youth, adults, children um, being not quite old enough to be kind of put in a motel room by themselves for two weeks uh, without adult supervision. But obviously, they're not traveling with their parents. So it is it does kind of complicate things a little bit. You know, it's one of those things. I think there's a lot for that age group to deal with at the moment. Many of them will have sort of just finished high school. I know coming from the university sector, you know, those final two years at, univers- uh, at high school living under COVID have been very, very difficult. And, you know, we're all facing new things. And unfortunately, you know, this will be something which will be a bit of a legacy for them, but I'm sure there'll be other opportunities. Brian Waddle, Jeremy Coney, on the front foot. The other issue too, Jerry, is the fact that um, New Zealand, they don't play a lot of games either, do they? And, um, you know, there isn't really or doesn't seem to be a development program through to the top level. Yes, we've had the consistency and the continuity and the quality of the current players. But you look now, you know, at um, Ross Taylor's 37, so he's coming very much to the end of his time. The likes of Southie, 33, Bolt, 32, Wagner, 35. Um, Are the obvious replacements there or should we be developing some form of competition and getting these guys playing overseas. Once again, caught up in a pandemic crisis. Hells, bells, wads, that sounds about like five programs there you've asked me. Um, I, it sounds like New Zealand are, are clear we're after the world sort of over 35 championship from all that. <laughs> um, look, this is a team, I guess, that's been assembled the various pieces over probably eight to ten years now. <clears throat> and and as you as you've just listed there, the ages of the side over the next maybe three or four years, the arc of this team is going to change, and there are going to be replacements, and and gaps are going to be replenished. So, um, selectors clearly are going to be tasked with that managing that change, and it could be a very interesting time and. Uh, one would hope that there are always succession plans at the back of their minds. And part of that is that New Zealand A side that you mentioned, you know, to prepare the next level for playing international cricket. And it's an important component in that gap between our first class game uh, and playing for the Black Cats. So, um, you know, that it also supplies not just the, the actual cricket side of things, but the culture around what it means to be a New Zealand player, the methods and the practice and the standards of behaviour and so on that are acceptable. I don't know how they're going to use that tool, Brian. Um, It seems to me there's a good opportunity to play touring sides in New Zealand where it doesn't cost so much, Uh, like warm-up games, for example, 
There's a two-day warm-up game supposed to be on the 28th and 29th of December with New Zealand A. Whether that goes ahead or not, I don't know. But, I mean, as build-up from quarantine, it seems to be an excellent way to assist overseas touring sides who would like to have a two- or three-day game before they go into a test. Pete, you've had uh, experience of this, of course, because uh, you've been part of the Northern District's administration process and the development pro- programs that have gone there. And, and they've dished up a number of uh, players over a longer period of time in terms of the uh, national game. Uh, is, is, there a, is there a program that is established or is it sometimes about good luck? Well, I mean, it's all about resourcing and, and um, you know, the coffers of New Zealand cricket swell and shrink depending on where we are in the television cycle. Um, and COVID has challenged all businesses, you know, let's be honest, not just the cricket businesses for where, what they can and can't pay for. I think the challenge for New Zealand cricket is we're in a situation where the black caps are, are at the highest they've ever been probably. Um, you know, to be as highly ranked in all three forms is so unusual. Um, normally, we've only done well in one format at, at the expense of the others. And then you start to ask questions, well, where do the next lot come through? And, you know, at the time that the team is at their highest, we've probably got the the most um, gaps in our development program. The women's team have been struggling for a few years now. This question's being asked about resourcing into that. So, you know, it's kind of rags to riches, really, and the black caps are doing really, really well. And so you start to shine a spotlight on the rest as to where they're going to come from. And unfortunately, those questions are valid questions to be asked as you have an ageing team um, who may well all leave all at once. Is 35 too old to be playing international cricket? Uh, it starts to get difficult to play all three forms. And I think that's the challenge for New Zealand is that while we've still got players like Kane and Tim and Trent who to play all three formats, um, the wear and tear on them will be much greater than those like Neil Wagner who are only playing one format um, or some of the other players who are maybe T20 specialists. So, you know, you can maintain your body at that age, um, but the aches and pains do start to become more than, and become niggles. And um, while we continue to ask those types of players to play all three forms, we're effectively rolling the dice every series, unfortunately. It seems, Wads, that, I mean, if you look around the world at the moment, um, you have people like, I mean, just as a guide, um, Tim Payne is 37. He's just obviously stopped for the moment. Shakib's nearly 35. Riddhiman Sahar from India, 30. 37, uh, James Anderson, 39, Dean Elgar, 34. I'm just thinking of the, the, the countries. Um, so, I mean, it seems as though the ages are coming around, aren't they? And it's going to be an interesting time. Selectors are going to have to change and slide new players into the mix that they've generally wanted to have stability in the New Zealand side. It's also very much, as Pete says going to test how well have we tended our own garden? You know, um, have we got the players? Who's the next Ferguson, Milner, Jameson? Who's going to replace Southie? Have we got a left armour? Is there a Crow or a Williamson or a Taylor around lurking? Can we find a spinner and play him? Or are we going to leave it, as you said, to chance and pray? Uh, If I was a youngster and loved the game, uh, I would see that as a chance, a little chink of opportunity. It's very hard to break in when you've got a current team the way that we have got. 
But now that time is coming, and I would be very keen to nail that down as much as I could. Yes, you can't just do it from domestic cricket, can you? We, we look at uh, domestic cricket stats, and there's some yeah, capable performers there and players who've been around the domestic scene have never really broken through. I think you have to have another level, don't you? And the days of going to England and playing county sides or going to Australia and playing state sides are, uh, are through. And, and the point you make, Jerry, is that there should be more chances for those guys when teams come to New Zealand, but they don't want to do that because of the cost, do they? Um, and and that's, I guess, your administrator at domestic level, uh, Pete, you know those sort of problems. Yeah, and that will become more of a challenge with COVID because it's not just the expense of playing the series. It's it's MIQ spots. It's you know it's isolation. It, it's it's um, having um, parallel systems set up in case someone tests positive that you can have a kind of select group test uh, training off to the side. I mean, we had the situation was it last year where the West Indies were kind of or whoever the touring team was were kind of split up into three or four mini groups who then all had to train in isolation. So it's not even like your whole squad are training all together all at once. You end up breaking the, the team up to train in isolation. So the costs or the, of, of putting on A tours and taking a New Zealand team to England for the next probably two to three years are going to be three times what they used to be. And so, you know, we will need to cut our cloth to fit, I think, to work out, you know, what is a priority and and how do we see our way through this pandemic and come out the other side with some sort of functioning system. Pretty clear too, Pete, that you need larger teams because of the COVID as well, don't you? So there the costs, you know, build up as well as just the travel and the MIQ and, the, you know, the meals and so on. Um, and getting the right places to actually stay. So it, it is a, it's a massive issue, isn't it? I mean, it would also be nice, for example, the way that it's been set up this season, we've got two major teams, South Africa and Bangladesh, coming. And then we've got the Netherlands. And I wonder if in future, once we get past this, is it is it possible to have a, uh, a Netherlands kind of component about our touring uh, coming here to our season, either Zimbabwe or Afghanistan or whatever, and they might be able to include other games on the way or wherever, that our A team might play. They'll play our Black Caps for, say, a couple of T20s and, a, and an ODI, but play against our A side as well, and it gives them again a side to play against. That's going to be the difficulty, other than playing amongst each other all the time. On the Front Foot with Waddle and Coney. Can either of you uh, identify a name of a cricketer at the moment who you think is banging down the door to get into New Zealand? I mean, there have been times when players have been putting up performances that have made their claims irresistible. I don't see too many of those at the moment. Or, or is the development of the game now being, as you say, Jerry, with bigger teams and getting the opportunity to go on uh, tours overseas rather than uh, an A program or an under-19 program? 
I think the nature of the, the, the seasonal structure for New Zealand has always been a real problem. So it's always been kind of first-class cricket at the front end of the season, which then means if there's a Black Caps T20 or one-day series going on, no one has any form. No one's knocking the door down because we've all been playing one particular format. And then we tend to play our limited overs stuff kind of over the height of summer, you know, late December, early January. And so as a result, if there's a test match on and, and the end of January, no one's kind of on the tip of anyone's tongue about getting a uh, beating down the door so so I think there are some players in the top five run scorers this season uh, but you know you've got two wicket keepers in the top five run scorers so you're not going to pick both of them as batters um, and you've got the likes of Greg Hay who have scored thousands of runs over the years but for some reason never really got a crack at international level so the, it suggests there's something maybe technically that the selectors aren't happy with otherwise he would have got to go by now so, you know, you're right, Wads. Uh, unfortunately, the, the nature of the season, the way it's structured, does make it difficult for guys to um, beat the door down, um, depending on what format the Black Caps are playing. Wads, I had a quick look at those stats too. Uh, emphasis on the word quick. Um, and and really, I, I couldn't see anything that stood out. I mean, there were hundreds there. There's, one guy's got 200, hasn't he? The guy Cooper. But, yeah. I mean... Shmulian was another one who scored a few runs, but there's nothing really, as you say, beats the door down, um, either in the batting or the bowling, really. So to wrap up where the New Zealand game is going, are we satisfied that we have the players and the development of those players to keep our record where it is at the moment, where the world number one or number two, depending on what happens, but we've got the World Test Championship. Are we set in position to sustain that. Pete, you've been fairly close through playing at that level of the game and then watching it. Yeah, I think the next couple of years are going to be quite tough. I mean, the the Will Youngs of the world were kind of, they were um, prepared slightly before the now. So, that you know, Will Young's kind of New Zealand A time was probably three to four years ago. Um, and it's definitely... The last couple of years have been pretty lean for um, the, the levels below the Black Caps. Um, Devin Conway's come in from overseas and effectively spent the last seven or eight years or six years or whatever it was kind of playing in the domestic comp. So uh, it's we were, I guess the, the challenge for the Black Caps and for New Zealand cricket in the men's game at least is um, what are the, the last couple of years leading to? You know, has the neglect of a New Zealand A program or, or the effect of COVID and all that kind of combined going to lead to a few lead to a few lean years when we've got guys like Taylor and Williamson and and Bolt and Saudi all starting to mature to a point where we're probably only going to get another three or four years out of them. So tough times ahead, and we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, it's one of the you know patience, and and hopefully we've got young guys who can come through and and push their way through the pack. Yeah, it is a bit like that, Wads, too, for me. Um, it, it could well become quite barren. Um, we just hope, we're going to have to hope and be optimistic about it and, um, because I'm not sure, as I asked that question, have we tended our garden? I'm not sure that we have. I think there are a lot of bare patches and a few weeds are starting to go. That's enough of that metaphor. Um, but I... I um, I wonder about the coaching structures. I'm not convinced. I'm wondering about the facilities. They've got a little bit better in some places, but probably not others. I mean, I noticed that the club teams 
even down into club cricket now, once people are, are pulling out at the last moment and you're suddenly four short, you know, and, and you're almost getting to the point where you're going to the pub to pick the team the night before, Friday night. So it, there are a few issues I think, emerging in our game and um, I, I just feel unless we have the inclination, particularly at New Zealand cricket level, to devote uh, a lot of development over these next few years to the structures and to facilities, to pitches, getting the New Zealand A side to broach that gap and bridge it, uh, we could be in for some harder times. Well, the challenge is facing our administrators and uh, we look forward to them approaching the issue in a positive manner. I'm sure they will be and we'll have the plans in place. Brings to an end another edition of On the Front Foot. Uh, thank you for joining us again this week, Peter McGlashan and, of course, Jeremy Coney with us every week. Uh, I hope you have uh, a pleasant, enjoyable Christmas and don't overindulge and are also able to enjoy some good, competitive international cricket. As do I. Merry Christmas to all. And, uh, yeah, yeah, hopefully 2022 is better than 2020 and 2021. Here, here to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Wads, have you been asked to be Father Christmas? Uh, that's, that's a new phase of your, your life, mate. Eh? Mm, no, I, I can't fit the uniform anymore. <laughs> so okay, there's, well, there's good plenty luck of you are. Yeah, we won't carry on that any further. I'll just say thank you very much for joining us and join us again next week for another edition of On the Front Foot. For the wonderful days of summer singing